You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, I just appreciate uh, Brie Elcour and Dan Duran, our campus missionaries, Peter Dusan, all the service they do for our campus ministry at the University of Texas. Well, hey, I'm so glad to be with you today. My name is Morgan Stevens. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic. Uh, a couple of things real quick before we get going. First of all, of course, as you probably saw via email on Friday and have heard from the news there's so much happening around the world, Ukraine, Russia. We're going to take a moment before we're done at the end of our time today to show you a quick video about that, about what God's doing there, and then about how perhaps you can participate in that. All right, so we're going to come back to that. But first, I'm so thrilled to be able to introduce to you someone who's a guest, perhaps for some of you, but really not a guest here at all, because he's been visiting this church on an annual, sometimes twice a year basis for more than two decades now. His name is Pastor Jim LaFoom. And Jim and his wife, Kathy, reside in in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, they help to lead and govern our global every nation spiritual family. Uh, he serves as the senior prophetic voice. Uh, he's got a real 1 Corinthians New Testament gift of prophecy where you know, God really sh- speaks through him, shares things through him for individuals. I've seen him do this into my own life, into the lives of others. He, he'll talk about that. You'll experience that uh, in just a moment, his insight. And uh, we're so thankful for him. Uh, he, again, he travels globally, encouraging leaders in churches and pastors around around the world, speaking to heads of state. Um, I'll just stop there because some of these are his stories to share and of course, uh, and not mine. But he's really been a friend to me, a friend to Carrie. Uh, The love that he has for people, God's love for people shines so clearly through him and through his ministry. Uh, As he gets going, I've asked him actually to share a little bit about some of his perspective uh, as to what's happening right now in the Ukraine and Russia, as well as what's happening here in the U.S., here in the U.S., U.S. sort of sociopolitically, and so you'll hear from him. But above all, I hope you'll hear a heart that's centered on Christ uh, and, and full of love for people. So would you all please, please, please give a warm welcome to our friend, longtime friend here, Pastor Jim LaFoon. Let's give God a great hand this morning, too. I guess I've been coming here a good while now, Morgan. I'm feeling extra strong today. I had my Rudy's breakfast tacos. I wish I could say I come to see you. I really come to go to Rudy's. Just kidding. Anyway, so good to be here this morning. Morgan Carey, just so many of you I've known for years. I count it a privilege. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for Mosaic Church. I thank you for what you're doing in Europe, in the Ukraine, in the world in here. Amen. Morgan's asked me to comment about the Ukraine, then about the country. Part of the way my gift works is God gives me impressions about things before they happen, world events, things in America, talks to me about them. So I'll talk to you a bit about Ukraine and Russia. I have to go back 10 years, and this was all said at conferences then. Um, I was in my prayer time January 1st, 2012. I thought the Lord said, I want to talk to you about Europe and I saw a huge bear come out of hibernation. And uh, it was Russia. And God said, Russia is gonna come out of its hibernation to attempt to take back lost territory in Europe. Let me start by saying I love the Russian people. I've been all through Russia. Recently in Unite 714, which is a prayer movement that came as COVID started that I was involved in leading. 
We work with 2,000 churches in Russia. Um, I was on the phone with the bishop. Of the other. I love the Russian people. So we're talking governments and politics. And the Lord said, the Russian bear is going to try to regain its influence, but I'll raise up Germany as a counterbalance for a season. That happened with Merkel, and you saw that in Economist magazine back in those days. But in the end, he said, I'm going I'm to rip the arm of the Russian bear. I saw the Lord break Russia's arm as she attempted to reach out and take back territory. I held that. He spoke to me then about how the EU would seem to be breaking down. Of course, we know England left, and I've been watching that and watched Crimea, watched them in Syria, watched other things in Europe. But in October, I was with our leader from our churches in Ukraine. We have six or seven churches in Ukraine, great ones, and his name's Olaf, and we were there. We, Oleg, pardon me. We were there together, and his wife Natalie had, had COVID and couldn't come and meet in um, Dubai in the Arab Emirates where we were. And um, Oleg said, listen, my wife's pretty concerned about the country. Will you please give her your impressions on tape? So I went back to that tape. And basically, I told Natalie, I said, Natalie, listen. I said, I know you're very afraid. The whole country is afraid. And I want you to know Russia's going to enter your country. And I said, they're going to come to take land back. But I'm here to tell you by the Holy Spirit, God will slap the paw of the Russian bear. Now, as I pondered that, and of course, we see that happening now. But as I pondered that, and began to pray over it. I looked in my journal where the Lord basically told me, he said, the week of February 23rd, you'll see them come in to, to, to Ukraine. What seems like an invasion will end up an incursion. That means it won't last, and it won't in the end. And um, I saw, as I prayed, and it's a sad thing, I saw a bear trap in Ukraine, and this is an overreach, and Putin will regret this. And... Um, Yet God, as much as he hates war, he's wise enough to allow his kingdom to advance even when war comes. And um, as I saw these Russian tanks rolling into Ukraine, I saw the strange thing. I saw plow handles out of them. Moses, says, I know they seem like tanks, but in reality, I'm going to open up Europe even more for the gospel through this. So I'm praying for Ukraine. I'm also praying for Russia. There are many great people that love God there that don't want this. And you know, you, the body of Christ is everywhere. One of the greatest churches in the world is in Iran. Listen, beloved, it's amazing what God is doing in the earth. So I, I, want, I want you to know, don't let your heart be afraid. Um, God's got this. I'm praying for Ukrainians. I've been to Ukraine. I've been all through Russia. Um, I love that part of the world. And the Lord spoke to me in the beginning of January. He said, there's going to come a, a new openness in Europe. I said, what do you mean? He said, the closer a nation is to proximity to Russia, the more afraid they're getting ready to be. And watch what I do. So I think of the Baltic states, which I've been in. I think of Poland, which I've been to many times. I, I think of the Scandinavian countries. So let's be praying for Russia. Let's be praying for God to touch his people in Ukraine. Let's be praying for Jesus to touch Europe and to help them. Um, I'll comment on America. Um, really, when I look back over COVID in the last couple of years, and I'll comment on COVID in a minute. First real glimpse of what I had coming into our country uh, was the end of 2018. Some of you have heard this. It was all ended up taped. I didn't know it at the time. And I attend a multi-ethnic, multi-site church in Nashville. One of Morgan's dear friends, James Lowe, pastors it. He married Debbie, who's the youngest singer in the Winan family. 
Can she sing? Oh yes, she opened for Whitney Houston around the world at 16. We have some really great music there. Cece comes to visit, etc. So we have a lot of good music. And so our church is um, in that site, predominantly African-American, and, but we have probably 80 or 90 nations in our Bethel family, it's larger. And I've been elder there and been there and they typically have me speak on New Year's Eve. It's the happy New Year's Eve service. This one wasn't gonna prove to be too happy, but that's okay. I was sitting on the front row minding my own business and all of a sudden I had a series of impressions from the Holy Spirit that gripped my heart. This is public record. Um, I, I saw our country just shaken and broken. I saw New York crushed. And you know, of course, what hit New York later, economically than in COVID, just crushed. The whole nation uh, began to shake in these series of impressions. I literally could hear people crying out for government intervention, afraid of another Great Depression. The West Coast was hit so hard it went vertical. I saw things pouring out of it. I know now it was people afraid and wondering. And as I saw all this, I go, good gracious, I've got grandchildren in Silicon Valley. I've got a daughter and a husband in New York City. And here I sat and I kept hearing this thing 17 months, 17 months. And I saw the hands of our gracious heavenly father reach out and catch America. Literally, she seemed to be sliding into the Atlantic Ocean. And then I heard Pastor James saying, and we have our beloved elder, Jim LaFoon, to speak tonight. I go, oh yeah, really? <laughs> we'll see if I'm so beloved after this happy day. But anyway, you know, I got up just trying to get my bearings. It wasn't it's a typical Sunday morning, mostly like hundreds of people deep, deeply part of the church. So I had a bit more liberty and I began to share, listen, we're gonna come into a time of shaking. The next thing I knew, the Lord began to speak to me even more and I said this, as the calendar ticks into the 17 months from now, once again, God's gonna to come to deal with the ethnic pain in America. We're gonna come into a time of division where, you, where civility will seem to die. People will demonize one another. Doomsayers will come on the airways. Everyone will be afraid. And roughly 17 months from then is when Mr. When Mr. Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. Nothing surprises the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me that night and I challenged our church, rise up and embrace your identity in Christ and watch what God will do. And what our, how God used our church in that city is beyond comprehension, if I had time to tell you. And so anyway, I wanted to speak to them that many are gonna say America's gonna end in anarchy, that America's done, it's gonna divide, it's gonna be shattered. None of that's true. America will end in revival. God will touch our country. And so I came out of that very burdened in May 18th or so, or 17th, I headed to the mountains of Tennessee God said, you know, impress me. The country's gonna get very dangerous. I thought, I live in Franklin. Is a hunter gonna shoot me outside Nashville? Like, what are you talking about? The next morning, I woke up and he said, here's what's coming to the world. And out of China, I saw a mindless, merciless river of death flow into every nation of the world, killing people. Um, I didn't know at the time it was COVID. I knew later. And, you know, nothing surprises God. Now, I wanna go back and comment on COVID. That night when I spoke and I said, in 17 months when we're halfway done. And by this point, Unite 714 was coming and that was a prayer movement that God raised up in response to COVID that I had the privilege of helping to lead. Literally hundreds of millions of people around the world prayed. Some call it, I guess, maybe the largest thing that's ever happened on the internet. Who really knows? It was everywhere and I'm so thankful for all the great leaders I met from Africa and all these places. But anyway, I began to think, okay, if the end of May 2020 
was halfway done, what might happen the end of October 2021? Getting close to that, I thought, there's gonna be a change in COVID. The Lord said, you're right, but don't run your mouth. You don't understand it yet. Of course, we came to them, thank God. When it came to the end of October in Zambia, they began to talk about Omicron. South Africa gets the credit. It really was discovered in Zambia, I think, first um, in uh, November 10th. And so I began to hear about it. I began to pray, Lord, let this next variant come with 25% of the power of the Delta virus. Lord, I pray, let this begin to go from pandemic to endemic, which of course, which is what many doctors and people that study these viruses believe is, is what I believe is happening. I'm not saying there's not another variant, but I do say this, we're coming out of COVID and I believe we're heading to the endemic stage. As we come out of COVID, what would God say to us? Like what would God say to the United States of America? Where are we? Um, many are afraid for our country right now. You say, are you political? Hmm, I guess, I'm partisan for Jesus in case you're wondering. I mean, they go, do you have a news feed? Oh yes, Genesis to Revelation. Some of you know I served my country in an elite military unit many, many decades ago. I know I look 27, I'm really 67. Anyway, so much for that. I was a few pounds less back in the military days. Now they'd have to drop me with the tanks. Just kidding, but anyway. So like, what, what, would, like, what would God say to America? Like, like what would he really say to us? And, December 5th, I was, had the privilege of speaking in one of the really the poorest parishes in all of Louisiana. One of my friends, incredible Hispanic leaders being used of God all over Louisiana. We've been friends decades. And they not just put up a church, they put up a business park for jobs. It's just amazing. And I'm sitting there, and I don't know the way to say it, I have an impression of God's foot coming down from heaven. And I go, what's going on here? And he hit an accelerator. He says, Jim, don't be afraid. I'm coming to accelerate my church. There's been a lot of headwinds. We're gonna catch a tailwind. And God's spirit is coming. And the metaphor I had was a space plane, space rocket, astronaut or whatever, pilot flying it. And it began, it was the church began to accelerate. The G-force began to hit, lots of turbulence. And I saw this thing that marked months turning. It stopped at 36 months. Well, 36 months from December 5th was November 5th or 7th. It's not in front of me of 2024, the next presidential election. Many are fearful about that election, uh, the turbulence, what's gonna happen. May I tell you, the Holy Spirit's gonna help us. He's gonna breathe on us. He's gonna carry us through that. As I kept looking, and this may have extended beyond 36 months later, I saw the gospel radiate over the earth in a whole new way. May I tell you, beloved, God has this. He's gonna help you. People now are making lots of, how many of you know fear sells? There's so many fear mongers these days. Some of the favorite books they're writing now is The Coming Civil War in America in the End of Our Country. In fact, our beloved neighbor, Canada, recently published in their, one of their major newspapers, something out of their think tank, which asks, is America governable? Is this the end of America as we know it? Will they soon be running across our borders? My answer is maybe, but not in the winter. But anyway, <laughs> I, I think that, beloved, I, I, here's what I say about that. And I'm not just trying to be tongue in cheek. I really just feel God's peace. Yes, America has its problems, its pain, things God's dealing with, but God's not done. God's gonna to touch our country. You say, Pastor Jim, do you have any hope in political parties? Not much, to be honest. I do have lots of hope in Christ. I vote my conscience. I did not vote in the last election. Lord said, stay out of politics so I can speak to you and talk to you. I encourage you to vote. As you see the Bible, vote your conscience. But my hope is in Jesus for this country. 
There's enough pain in America that'll take more than politics and laws to change hearts. We need Christ to just flat help us. And when I was with Pastor Seth Trimmer, one of our every nation pastors in Oregon, Corvallis planting churches throughout Oregon, um, had an impression of the map of America. It was different. It wasn't divided in half like the Civil War with armies. I don't buy that. But the states' rights had become so radical that polity and unity were fragmenting. And I saw parts of states not wanting to secede from the Union, but to secede from their state because it was too far to the left or too far to the right. I saw governors wanting to activate the state militia to protect their rights. That's different than the National Guard. It's already happened in Florida. Um, it's, uh, you can't, it can't be nationalized. And I just saw anger and fear and just tension. And you know something? Outside of Jesus, we fragmented some, beloved. People are afraid on the left and the right. It's true, trust me. I've worked on both sides of the aisles. I've ministered to politicians from both parties. And I'll never forget my first foray up into the higher politics. I was probably 31 years old, on the phone with arguably the, the, one of the most powerful people in the whole country, dear friends of the president. She called me, you'd know their names for sure. And she said, my husband and the president are scared to death, let's pray together. And that's when I began to realize, man, how many, we just need Christ to touch our country. We need Christ to touch. Now, let me talk to you as a church. Um, Morgan said, what are you gonna preach? And I said, I don't know. That doesn't normally worry me, to be honest, as long as I get something by Saturday night. But when I went to bed with no, na- no message, I was worried last night. I thought, well, I'll just get to tell lots of stories. Maybe I'll sing. What am I gonna do up here? <laughs> you don't need me singing. Uh, but at four in the morning, it congealed. So I wanna preach a message I've never preached. I've scribbled in my Bible some. I'm gonna entitle it, What's God Looking For? We know it's not really theologically right to say God needs something, but what's he looking for? Like, what's on his heart? What's on his mind in a world so polarized yet so afraid right now? Wondering after world pandemic, is, are we gonna have like world war? So afraid, so wondering. And I guess you have to go back into the beginning and you can look in your Bibles if you have one in Exodus 19. But let me go back a little farther. God had like an audacious plan. Started out with one couple. God's not afraid to start small, he always does. His name was Abraham. He was sprightly 75. His wife would have been in the 60s. She was barren beyond menopause. God came to Abraham and said, leave your big city, move to the desert. He said, why should I do that? He said, well, by the way, he said, you're gonna have a baby that'll change the history of the world. How many of that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. She's past menopause. They're barren. But the Bible says this, as it is written, he told Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations in the presence of the God whom he believed, the God who raises the dead and speaks to those things that don't exist as if they existed. There's a miraculous thing in God. What's impossible humanly is possible with God. For 25 years, they waited around for a baby. God wanted to make sure that his plan for the earth was birthed through a miracle. He was 99, she was like 89, I can't remember. She got pregnant. 
miraculously. A little boy named Isaac was born, and over the next years, slowly but surely, God's plan to take over the earth grew to about 100 people. They went on into Egypt. That started out pretty well, did not end well. They were enslaved for 400 years. They grew so much that Egypt began to practice infanticide and murder every boy baby. In the middle of it, Moses was born to a couple. Parents couldn't bring themselves to give him up. They hit him. Only God would put a kid in a basket in the crocodile-infested Nile and have the daughter of the man murdering the people decide to raise him. He grew up, decided he had served God. His first day in ministry didn't go best. He found a couple of people arguing and killed one of them. Not the best thing, and it took him a few years to kind of recover and go back into pastoring. He's out 40 years later in the wilderness, giving up. He who had led armies, mighty in word and deed, he was now stuttering, he was so broken. Didn't own anything, it was his father-in-law's sheep. And a bush caught a fire, and he went back to Egypt. Empire shaken, army destroyed, and now they're at a mountain. There's a couple million of them probably, two or three. Uh, None of them educated fully. No real generals, no real statesmen other than Moses. They'd been enslaved brutally for centuries. Their boy babies had been murdered and thrown into the Nile. And now God's come down on the top of a mountain and he just got this audacious plan. Here's what he says. Now therefore obey me, keep my covenant. And if you'll do this, out of every people in the earth, you'll be my treasured possession. I'm gonna take this enslaved, broken, group of people, like if I'd have been God, I'd say, well, why not convert Egypt? Let's find Assyria. Let's get some big dignity. Let's go down into China. Let's get one of the African kingdoms. Surely we can find something better than this. But if you'll obey me, I'm gonna take you broken, enslaved, despised people with no homeland but a place called the promised land. And you'll be a kingdom of priests like of any other nation. You won't just have priests. You'll all be priests. You'll all hear me, worship me, know me, love me, care about me. And I'm going to make you a set-apart nation. If you're listening to me, I'm going to take you little broken band of people and I will change all of human history with you. Now the Jewish nation sprang all the prophets. Came the Old Testament. Came our Messiah, and they were a stubborn folk. That's I, every time I think I'm doing badly, I read about them and I feel a bit better. I mean, they were taken into captivity, warned, judged. Finally, Assyria ethnically cleansed and eradicated 10 of the tribes. Judah still didn't listen. Babylon took them, burned their temple. They lost everything. They were scattered across the world. I'm sure everyone thought it was done. Little of the world, no. They were scattered across the world to change the world when the Messiah came. Gone, liquidated, shattered, a little band in Israel. Of course, why didn't God have his son born in Rome or somewhere decent? Like, why Bethlehem? If you think God's plan was audacious, it gets really bad in 1 Peter. Like, what's God looking for? A plan that only he could conceive of. 
Look in 1 Peter 2 for a minute. A plan so audacious and so impossible that if it wasn't in Scripture and I hadn't seen it, lived and experienced with my own eyes, I couldn't believe it. So in 1 Peter 2, this is where we're going to stay. I'm going to look at the first three verses, then I'm going to jump to verse 9 and 10, then back to the verse beginning in 4. He says, you better get rid of all malice in your heart. I don't just mean malicious behavior. The hatred and the pain in your heart, you better let me deal with. Because I'm out to do something and make you into something that if you're malicious, it's going to come to the top quick. I mean, what God proposed to do in the earth is humanly impossible. Too much pain, too much hatred, too much betrayal. He said, and by the way, while you're at it, don't think you can deceive me. Don't think you can act like you've dealt with these issues because I'm gonna put you in situations. If you're being a hypocrite and it's not really true, it's gonna come boiling out of you. Like you best get your feelings on the table with God and with man because I'm building something which will squeeze this out of you. Oh, and by the way, envy ain't gonna cut it here. Envy another demographic, another people. Oh no, it's not gonna cut it here. In fact, don't dare slander. He says, I've got to scrape your heart because I'm going to build something beyond your comprehension that you're not going to be able to figure out. But if you'll let me build you into it, I'll change your community. But it ain't going to be easy. And better, you better be like a newborn infant. You better let me reduce you down to child trust. And you better long for this Bible that you can grow up because you're going to have to grow out of things and grow up and you say, what are you talking about? I'm going to show you in a moment. If you think God taking one broken little band of people to change human history was inconceivable, his real plan is even more inconceivable. What he really had in mind all along was more than just one little nation. And I do believe he still has a plan for them. You, you say, well, Pastor Jim, I know they've been persecuted and I know they've gone through it. All through history, they've been hated. But what about the Palestinians? Well, I know and love the Palestinians. One of my sons gave years of his life to reaching Palestinians. I sat with them, lived with them, loved them, cared about them. But Israel's problems as a nation does not negate that God still has a plan for that country in the Bible. What it is, who knows, but it's there. Lived these things. Sat with precious Palestinians seeing young literal terrorists out of prison following Christ and falling in love with Israel wanting to reconcile. I've sat on the Syrian border, sat in Bethlehem. But God had a plan and you find it right here in verse nine. He speaks to the church. This is Peter, a Jew, writing this. You realize the people God chose to reach the world hated the rest of the world. They've been so hurt, so battered down that they considered every one of you here that's not Jewish unclean. Hispanic Americans, African Americans, European Americans, they wouldn't have liked any of us. Why do you think when Peter was having his prayer time, the big sheet came down? You know, Jewish have some food laws. I mean, I mean, Rudy's ribs were in there. Papacito's big shrimp with bacon wrapped around him. Peter said, eat. He goes, it's unclean. I just said, I've been waiting for that command. Let me eat. Eat. 
Unclean says, you better not call unclean what I call unclean. There was. Who? A Roman soldier at the door wanting to hear the gospel. You understand the hatred of a true Jew and a Roman soldier? You can barely comprehend it. They'd wiped them, defiled their temple, crucified them, taxed them, spit on them. Peter finally began, I mean, he, Peter realized, God's like up to something. God's forming something here like we never thought. In fact, Peter was almost persecuted by Jewish believers for going and baptizing us. But you're a chosen race. What, what is God saying? And I, I just hate to say it, the word ethnicity is in this passage. The early church father called Christians a third race. I might add, many of them were men of color in Africa. Northern Africa. They said, God's not just into multi-ethnicity. He's forming a brand new people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That doesn't mean we cease to have an ethnicity, but that means our highest level becomes who we are in Christ. You say, that's hard. No, that's just God. That's just the Bible. That's why God says, listen, I'm gonna take people that hate one another, persecuted one another, people that were enslaved, hurting, broken, torn. I'm gonna make them one new people. I'm gonna shock the world. Listen, been around. I've stood in front of dictators, throwing people of my ethnicity out of their country, apologizing and watching them cry as every one of their grandchildren were saved. I've stood before leaders, intellectuals in China, apologizing for the opium wars. I stood before the president's, ca president's cabinet of one nation, asking their forgiveness for colonizing them and breaking all our treaties, then speaking to them. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Oh, God said, I have a plan so audacious. I have a plan so staggering that I'm not just gonna have a multi-ethnic church. I'm gonna bring a oneness and a unity that makes them like one people. Many of you are afraid, but gosh, I don't want my identity stolen. I don't want someone in my wallet. I don't want someone in my heart. May I tell you, it's far more dangerous to lose the reality of your second birth than it is your wallet. It just is. I'm gonna do some, listen, all I know is multi-ethnic Christianity. Where I pastored in the South, the 70% African-American church. They hated us so bad. African-American, white American. We lived in hell. I understand as much as a white person can understand. But I'm here to tell you, God's plan's audacious. God's plan is beyond what we know. I'm gonna take out of ethnicities and hatred and pain and political differences and it's not that they're gonna to cease to be what they were by their first birth. It's just that in the end, their identity with me will have priority. And I'm gonna make them a chosen race. Woo! A royal priesthood. They're all gonna be priests. They're gonna hear me, love me, know me. That doesn't mean we're not equipped and need Bible teaching and have pastors. But that means we're an unusual country where everybody's just a priest. There's no priestly class. You can hear God, know God, love God, find God. Sitting with Syrian refugees who had one son blown up in homes, 
Another son tortured to death by ISIS and his tongue cut out, solely tortured to death for turning to Christ. Sitting with that couple trying to comfort them. They turned to Christ as Syrian Muslims, no passport, no hope. But they were just leading precious Muslims to Christ. And I was there talking to him to comfort him about the loss of his son, who ISIS has sent a picture to him. We tortured your son to death. He said, I, he, he, he said, it's really hard, he said, to lose my sons. He's in tears, he said, and he's illiterate, by the way, he can't read. So he's heard the Bible on audio. He said, but you know, I had this strange dream, I said, tell me through an interpreter, which happened to me and my son. My son and his whole family flew in Arabic. I said, tell me, and he said, I was taken before the throne of God, I saw Jesus, and people were dancing in white robes in front of him, that's martyr's robes. One of them was my son, and now I'm happy. This Jesus staggering. He said, it's a kingdom of priests, I'll speak to you, I'll guide you. And I'm gonna make you a holy nation, like my church, what I gave to Israel, I'm not done, but I'm now given to my church. Every ethnicity, every political persuasion, left, right, center, what is impossible with man. I go to every nation church in Belfast where there's still 25 miles of 30-foot high walls dividing Catholics and Protestants. How do we have a church with Catholics and Protestants, including radical ones? Because I'm gonna raise up something something that the world can't raise up across every bridge, every divide, every pain. I'm gonna raise up something that's beyond comprehension. They're my own possession and they're gonna proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into light. Once you weren't really a people, you're broken and hurting, but now you're my people. Once you had no mercy and you've received it. There's a divine law of reciprocity in scripture. Those who give mercy, give more. But what's God building? What's he after, beloved? Like, what's he after? And you find it in verse four, it's my, my last little point. As you come to him through salvation, as you give him your heart, your soul, your mind, as you come to him, this living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God precious, You, like a living building material, are being built into something. You're being built into not just a spiritual family, that's another message, but into a spiritual house. You see, God told Israel, you're my people, build me a house. God tells us, you're my people, you are my house. We all felt God here this morning, part of it spiritual, part of it neurochemical. You feel loved by God, it affects your chemical balances. That's science, it's not speculation. And so, but God's not in love with this building. He's in love with you. If we met outside, we'd feel him together. I appreciate online. I loved it during COVID. I love messages. But there's something online you will not experience when God's people come together, he descends into the midst. God said, I'm gonna do something no one's ever seen. My people are gonna be my house and wherever they are, I will be. Externally, they're a mosaic of every political spectrum, of every ethnicity, all built together, and the world goes, my goodness, how can that happen? And they never find out till they come inside. Because God's touched them, changed them, transformed them, and loved them. 
And they're not just my house, they're my priesthood, and they're gonna offer spiritual sacrifices. After Christ, there's no need of animal sacrifice. He was the great sacrifice. The animals just looked toward him in the Old Testament. What's your sacrifice? You. Like, how much do they want of me? All. That may take a while. He's patient. He wants you. Your time, your talent, your pain, your hurts, your aspiration, your cash. Does he need your cash? No. He just wants you. He says, I don't like that. Argue with the Bible. No, this is, I, I just can't tell you. Beloved, our nation's fragmented. You get that, right? One of the reasons of the Civil War is the church failed to deal with slavery as they should have. Make no mistake about it, they did. The church failed. And wise politicians, as they watched the Presbyterian split in the 1830s, and the Baptists and the Methodist split said, if these men are supposed to be filled with God and love, can't deal with it, what hope is there for us? Don't, don't kid yourself. What God's building changes the world. But there's a cost. Oh, there's a cost. Last night as I prayed, I realized there's something special about this church. All I've known for, de- my, I grew up, my dad grew up pastoring in a gang era, a church of multi-ethnic. We had people that murdered so many people they'd been partially lobotomized by the state of California. It's like in my bloodstream. But if you'll let God build you together, oh yeah, we're, we're a bunch of different ethnicities going to church together, that's fine, but that doesn't last if that's all there is. Every time there's a political storm, every time there's another atrocity, every time a young person of color is shot down, that shakes everything. But when you really begin to identify with Christ and let your heart out on the table and deal with issues, there is a bond that when the nation shakes, you don't shake because you're filled with the kingdom and God's glory just begins to shine out and touch people. What's God building? Something the earth can't build. Homogeneous nations can't even stay together. They'll fight over politics, over economics. Sin has many forms, race being one of them. How many of you know people that are homogeneous don't even get along? Raise your hand. I'm in a homogeneous church. How'd that do? How'd that homogeneous marriage do? It's because sin comes in many forms. Only God can build what. Let me tell you, here's where we are. Mark this down, hear it. The wind of God's Spirit will blow over the country. You'll see lots and lots of people saved. This church will grow and grow. It's really true but you can't lose sight of what he really wants. Shoot, they're multi-ethnic crowds at football games, basketball games. That's really not what God's after. Like a momentary moment where we come together to hear something or see something. God says this, I'm forming a singular people out of every tribe, tongue. That doesn't mean they cease to be what they were in their first birth and care about it. What that does mean is that I'm forming something. And when I find it, I'll inhabit it and draw people. And it's not easy. Paul said, here I am reaching Gentiles in Romans 9. I'd rather be in hell than see my own ethnicity not saved. That's what Paul said. Read his agony. You think it was like easy to be the missionary to us? It wasn't easy. It 
lost him. He was going to the people that had killed and slaughtered them. Only God can do that. Like only God can do that. I'll never forget being in the nation of Zimbabwe. Got to know two people there. One had been one of the most feared black African leaders of that which had overthrown the white government. I'd go on walks with him, the sidewalks would part like the Red Sea. His best friend was the white man who had hunted him. When I went to see the vice president of that country and they walked in together, he said, God's got to be real. What forges that? What? I'm talking real things here. What does that? How does it happen? Because God's determined to build a people out of every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnicity. I love America, but my highest citizenship's in heaven. I served my country in an elite military unit many decades ago. I close with this story. I was 22 out of the military and got dumped off in a war zone as a young worker. It was a three-way war between communist insurgents, um, uh, Muslim kind of looking to be free from the country with their own provinces, and the government. It's wild, it's bad. I walked out one day, they had tied people's hands behind their back and they were shooting them in front of my house. Fought the army. They didn't trust Americans for good reason, I might add. I mean, they probably thought, for this dumb American to be there, he's got to be in the CIA, which wasn't true. The Lord told me, he said, you know, you'll never reach these people as an American. I said, what it'll take, he said, you've got to be a Christian, sorry. This is not about what America needs, this is what I need, and if you don't change, you'll never reach them, Jim. If your highest identity is American, not Christian, love my country, I served it. It's in my family from the Revolutionary War. But I love my citizenship in heaven. How do you vote as a Christian? Beloved, listen to me. White House is not going to save the country, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Don't kid yourself. In your persuasion, one may be better and one may be worse. Personally, it's going to make you mad. I'm deeply troubled at times with both parties. I just have to tell you the truth. And, 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 you know, listen, if you don't like it, too bad. It, it's just, this is, this is gut reality. Don't make the mistake of Israel thinking you're going to run down and politics will save you. Vote, pray, but it's the church. It's us. And God's doing something. He's building something. And more than you and I depend on it. He's coming to touch us. He's coming to move on us. And you have the privilege of being born now. Is God done with America? No. I believe he's going to bring a touch to us and help us and heal our wounds and deal with our sin. I really do. You'll see it. But in the end, I serve a king that doesn't live on the earth. I'm part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And my hope is in him. If you just say this, I want all God has for me. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Morgan, join me. I went a little long. I'm not too sorry about it, but I did. 
Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for these men and women. I bless them in Jesus' name. I ask your blessing. I'm so honored to call them family, so honored to be here in Austin. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.